inspired by the Holy Spirit. I just pray that the Holy Spirit uses him mightily. I pray that you speak to um, the folks here tonight, and I just pray that there's just somebody that uh, the message hits specifically, Lord, and that they just need at this time, Lord. I just pray that you just use us broken vessels to bring about your glorious message, and just thank you for your love. I just pray this through your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Is it unmuted? All right, cool. So we're going to be in 1 Samuel 3. Um, Good to see everybody. And uh, this week, Andrew is down in Jamaica. He's been going through 1 Samuel, so we're going to continue on with that. And I was going through this passage... And it was amazing seeing all the things coming out at me. Um, so if you want to hear more into this passage, feel free to show up for our teaching on Sunday night. We'll dig a little bit deeper into the passage and also into how to study the Bible in general. So with that said, we're going to dive right into the text. Um, starting right off in verse 1, we're going to try to cover all the verses in chapter 3. So I'll try to move quick. Sometimes I don't do that. Now the boy, Samuel, was ministering to the Lord. Now I'm going to stop right there. So that word boy there, in the Hebrew, it's, it's now. So what that is entailing is that, that this boy, Samuel, he's, he's kind of ignorant. He's, he's still a young child. Twelve years old is what some commentators say. So he's a young person, still. And he's ministering to the Lord. And it says, in the presence of Eli. Now who here can tell me who Eli is? Right, he's a high priest. So Samuel, who's this 12-year-old boy, is ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, who is the high priest, right? So right now we have this whole scene set up already where Samuel, being ignorant, if you will, and we're going to see that a little bit later, um, and then Eli, who this guy should be pretty well learned, right? The high priest, he's got two boys who are ministering, and they're being priests, right? It's the Elidian priesthood. Um, so then it says, And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. So, and this is the amazing thing. So, some people will ask if we're continuationists or not. Let me, let me ask you this. We're supernaturalists, right? We believe in a supernatural God who has bought us. So, we're straight up supernaturalists which entails visions and dreams from the Lord. In this part, we're seeing here that during this time of Eli, there is no frequent vision. So imagine a church without hearing prophecy. I'm being real. Imagine a church without having any dreams or visions. And mind you, look back to Acts, right? So in the book of Acts, it was a continual thing. The spiritual gifts were a very prevalent item, if you will, or prevalent happening. And here, during this time, the word of the Lord, which is a supernatural like uh, revelation from God, if you look at the word, in visions, is, is not happening. And then it says, 
At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. Verse 3, the lamp of God had not yet gone out. Now it's interesting here. So you see something with uh, almost a correlation, right? So Eli's eyesight is growing dim. He's not being able to serve in the temple like he used to. And then you also see that the lamp is going out. Look at his eyesight as though it were his spiritual life. And this is a, a legit correlation. So I'm bringing this out, not just out of like the air. His eyesight growing dim, God did that supernaturally upon him. Because just like his eyes, his natural eyes were growing dim, so are his spiritual eyes completely growing dim. Right? He's become all, all numb to the things of God. You see, what just happened in chapter 2? Eli's sons, right, Phineas and Hophni, they're blaspheming God. They are being arrogant. They're looking out for their own self, being selfish, right? And they're taking the sacrifices which are supposed to be holy and consecrated unto God, and they're taking them for themselves. Think about what that says in the eyes of God, right? That's them trying to declare themselves to be what? God, right? So they're blaspheming. And then God gives a revelation, a prophecy, for Eli to tell him to repent, to stop. And what does he do? doesn't do anything. So we see here that Eli has become numb to the things of God. My question is, so he's the high priest. Um, we got this 12-year-old boy, the high priest. So the scene is set up. Um, most likely, this high priest wouldn't be the numb one to the things of God, right? It'd more likely be this Nar, the, the ignorant 12-year-old boy. However, we already start seeing the setup here of the high priest is actually the one who's numb to the things of God. He's hardened himself. My question is, how, how easy do we do this to ourselves? How often do you accept this, these Christian sins where we might gossip about somebody or how often do you accept that, oh, I, I, can, I can have bouts of uh, not controlling my, myself. And yet, that's the Christian sin. However, the sins of somebody who's completely ignorant of the things of God, they are the ones that you throw your eyes on them and you're like, well, you got all this stuff going on. How often does that happen? Now, mind you, what that's showing is that in your own heart of hearts, you're not being true to yourself. You're not being real. You're not looking at what God is saying and letting it actually penetrate you. You are being numb. You are hardening your heart to actually hearing the Spirit of God speak to you and say, stop being angry. You're numbing your heart. You're hardening your heart at times. And get this, so we live in a culture, uh, and specifically downtown Lewiston, where it's really rampant with drugs, right? What do drugs do to you? 
Huh? They numb you, right? So they numb you. What is alcohol? It's another drug. It numbs you. So get this. This is the interesting thing. The Christian worldview operates off of purpose, not numbness. Any other worldview operates off of numbness. Now let me, let me dive into that more. So, the drug addict, they want to continually numb themselves. But they'll go through with the steps of life, right? They're going to go through and they're going to desire to have a girlfriend. They don't know why. They then want to have that girlfriend become their wife or have kids with them first and then have a wife. But they don't know why they want kids. And then they want a house. Likewise, we have other world religions who are very devout and pious. However, they are still numb. And why is because the Spirit of God has not enlightened their eyes. You see, we have a mosque literally less than a mile down the road. And I was meeting up with Sheikh Salah. I love that guy. Um, And I pray that he would repent and turn to Christ. But I was meeting up with him. And I was going through the scriptures. And I was like, why do you do this? I actually, I sat through, uh, I think it was around a two-hour chukbah teaching uh, down in in the mosque. And it was about marriage. And I was sitting next to a guy who was translating for me. It was all in uh, Arabic, I believe. And he was translating for me what was going on. And it was 10 points. And every point, I said, why is that? And he couldn't explain to me the actual purpose. And why is because the Muslims, they don't actually have a purpose behind marriage. You see, but the Christian worldview does. So this is why it's important to operate and let the Spirit of God continually go in and work in your soul and not to numb yourself to it. And the other aspect of numbing yourself, we also live in this American culture where everybody loves TV or internet, right? So watching all this TV and diving into all this, all the, I mean, there's, there's probably more pages than you can visit in a lifetime on the internet. You'll never achieve it. There's probably more posts on Facebook than you can ever achieve looking at in a full lifetime. And yet, we want to continually fill our time with it. However, when it comes to the things of God, they're all absent from our life. Why is that? Why is it that we allow that to happen to ourselves? Why is it that we run towards... um, Why is it that we run towards the internet or hearing the world speak when God has spoken to us and God also supernaturally is still giving us dreams and visions and prophecy? Why is it that we dive into these other things and not not care for the things of God? And what I'm doing here is setting up for ourselves. We are more like Eli than we think. We like to fill our time with the things that are not of God than we can actually fathom. May that not be. May God grant us repentance. But let's dig in a little bit deeper. Um, So, I'm going to read verse 2 again. Go down. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. 
The lamp of God, which just a quick biblical theological, I'm not going to dive into it too deep, but the lamp of God or the lampstand is set up as a tree of life from the Garden of Eden, which is life, right? Eternal. It's hope. So the lamp of God has not yet grown dim. MashaAllah, God has still given us hope. Mind you, you have Eli. and Think of what it must have been for one of us commoners to be like in there with this high priest and his sons who are tyrannically ruling the temple. They're supposed to be some sort of mediator between us and God, right? Think of how oppressive that would be to us. Think of how that would feel. And yet the lamp of God, this hope, has not yet gone out. And then it goes on. So, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. So he was the one that was guarding it, which is interesting. He was doing more of the priestly duties than the high priest himself in, in this text. Let that one sink in. This 12-year-old ignorant boy is doing more priestly duties than this numb high priest. Which, I just got to point out, a lot of times, churches, we don't let kids actually start functioning as Christians until we think that they're of age to function as a Christian. That's 12 years old. What we're about to see is crazy. So people like Dorian... Don't be surprised if you hear him up here very soon. Get smart. The kids who are bought by the blood of Christ are just as much Christian as you. Don't ever doubt the Spirit of God working in them. Because guess what? The Spirit of God will work in them mightily. All right. So... Verse 4, Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli, and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. Now this is the very first part of where Samuel is actually called. So Samuel, ignorant, he has not heard the voice of God yet. And yet Eli, who is the high priest, he has heard different prophecies come to him. We have one recorded here in 1 Samuel 2. And mind you, uh, Hannah, his mother, Samuel's mother, how did Eli respond to Hannah when she was hearing um, in, in before the presence of God? All her drunk, right? You're going to hear Samuel come to him faithfully. Mind you, he's a servant of the high priest. He's going to come to him faithfully three times. And yet, thankfully, Eli doesn't call him a drunk. But what must have been going through Eli's mind? So, what I say here is that Samuel, this is the very first time he's being called by the Lord. Be very, very cognizant and very, very astute when you're in your prayer closet. Um, there are times when God will speak to you in what seemingly might be an audible voice or it might be a thought in the back of your head. 
Follow the inclination of the Holy Spirit and do not ignore it. Verse 6, And the Lord called again Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son. Lie down again. This is the really beautiful part here. So, God calls on Samuel again. Samuel responds again like he did the previous time. So he's still being faithful, right? Mind you, in this whole time, this 12-year-old has seen all this tyranny going on. And yet he is faithful even to an unfaithful servant of God. So Samuel, who is faithful, is faithful to the unfaithful. Which says a lot for those who might easily church hop or church shop. Just because at that very moment you may not seemingly, want to be careful, seemingly have a church leader who is completely faithful in all areas of life, that does not mean run immediately. Now, I also want to put this caveat in there. He's preaching heresy, run. However, you see this 12-year-old boy being very patient and faithful with his master, if you will. We can learn a lot from that. We're a very divided culture in Christendom. May that not be. May actually we be marked by our faithfulness and our service to others. And our perseverance and steadfastness. Verse 7, Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. So this is just capitalizing on what I already said once before. So Samuel was ignorant of the words of God, but right here, all things are about to change. It's going to start diving in deeper. So he's had two times where God's gone to him. Now in verse 8, And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And it's really unique to point out the third time. Why is three really important in the Bible? God does things sometimes three times to really get the point across to people, right? So the 93 times Peter. So God uses this. Now who is the three for? I want to ask this. Is it for Samuel or is it for Eli? I believe it's for Eli because Samuel's going to get called again the very next time. This third time, I believe, is for Eli realizing that now his priesthood and his lineage of being priests be done away with. That chapter's closing and moving on. Samuel, who actually has the hope in him, uh, to pull Israel out of this mess that they're in. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And this is the amazing part. Also, I want to mention about Eli here. It took three times 
So they're in the temple. It's Eli and Samuel. That's it. That's it. It took three times for Eli to finally catch wind that it might be God. Number one, going back to this aspect of he is completely not in tune with the Spirit. Now, what does it feel like when you're not in tune with the Spirit? It feels like everything, there's no clarity, right? Everything's in disarray. But also, when you're not in tune with the Spirit, you can't guide people and other brothers and sisters properly, right? So get this. Samuel came to Eli, and Eli said, just go lay back down. Samuel came to Eli, and Eli said, just go lay back down. Samuel came to Eli, and finally he gets it. Now mind you, as an as a elder here, pastor here, if somebody comes to me, do I want to keep on feeding that person so that way they're going to keep coming back to me, or do I want to point them to somebody who's greater? Jesus, right? I'm going to continually try to point somebody to Christ, because guess what? One day it's going to click, and they're going to say, I don't need to go through Brian. Like, I, I just need to go straight to Jesus. Right? Or, on that same line of thought, not being able to help one another, then you can't play a part in the body. We're missing somebody. When you're not in tune with the Spirit, and you're not flowing through with the Spirit of God... We're missing a hand. Really. And we feel it. The whole body feels that. I know that every single person here knows what I'm talking about. Or when your spouse knows that you're not in tune with the Spirit and you can't do anything. Right? But the Bible says to run back to Christ. Keep your eyes focused on Christ. So, he tells, Sam, or Eli tells Samuel, this is what you're going to say. And so, he goes and he lays back down. Verse 10, and the Lord came and stood. And this is the amazing part of this. I noticed this uh, yesterday, I believe. So all the other times it doesn't mention any, uh, any type of bodily aspect or um, what's happening in that aspect, if you will. But here, now you see this really intimate part, portion of what's going on. He came, so God came and stood. It's really intimate. He came and stood and called. So calling, as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. He says his name twice, just like the other prophets, right? Abraham, Abraham, this is Genesis 22. Moses, Moses, Exodus 3. Now you have Samuel being called just like the prophets of old. His forefathers, Samuel, Samuel. That always happens when something huge is about to be revealed. And what is, what about to be, what's about to be revealed is very huge. And Samuel said, speak for your servant hears. And this is, the, again, the amazing part. Samuel directly obeyed Eli. Directly. Said word for word what he told him to say. 
Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel, which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, actually I'll stop there for a moment. So this has already been prophesied in chapter 2, right? Eli already knows about this. And so, when Eli heard that Samuel was getting a prophecy from the Lord, think about what that must have looked like to Eli. We already set it up once. Eli the high priest, the 12-year-old ignorant boy, is the one out of the two of them to be getting a word from the Lord. What do you think Eli is thinking? It's coming. That judgment that I remember hearing about from that other prophet, yeah, it's probably coming. That's not good. I didn't listen to God. I continued in my numb path. Now, Paul Washer has this quote. If Jesus is not enough to move you to holiness... Actually, hold on. I misquoted. If Jesus doesn't motivate you to holy living, you don't know Jesus. So likewise, I want to reiterate that. If Jesus doesn't move you to holy living, you don't know Jesus. So Eli was not motivated, number one, by the glory and holiness of the Lord. Just by knowing that, he wasn't even motivated by a prophecy coming. Now, number one, you in your own personal lives should be motivated by the glory of Jesus. Get this. Christ took your sins on the cross. Why would you want to enact another stripe upon your Lord? Why would you want another pound of the nail Because you want to run after the lust of your flesh. This is your Lord. He didn't give you grace so that you may sin. He gave you grace to make you pursue holiness. Right? So, Jesus bought you... So that way you can pursue him. And then get this. Imagine if we had many people in here with many visions and prophecies that were calling out one another on their sin. Mind you, that can and I believe it will happen. And yet you still don't listen. So God is working through this person who is a prophet among you. And says, I love you and I know that you're in sin. And I'm giving you a chance. This is my patience, my steadfast love. I should be striking you dead. Right? God is holy. He rightly should strike everybody dead. But he's saying, I have patience and I have love towards you. And I am going to send you a prophet. 
to call you out of your sin because that sin will never please you. I am the only one to please you. Come back to me. And yet you turn and you continually run towards the lust of your flesh. What is he going to rightly do? Let's look. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. I could get into this rant about limited atonement. I don't think I need to. It's there. The bigger rant that I want to get into is why would you forsake the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus? Why would you make yourself so numb and hard? Is internet worth it? I'm just going to go through. Is TV worth it? Are the drugs worth it? Who will kill you? Now get this. A lot of these things lead towards deaths. Right? They're only pointing that way. However, you even have good things that people replace. Are your kids worth forsaking the sacrifice of Christ if you have made them out to be something greater than what they are? Just being real. Because this is an important thing. These are important things. If you are raising anything above Christ who bought you, without Christ you'd be dead. But Christ bought you and I'm telling you that if you don't listen to his word, his holiness and righteousness, if you've made your heart numb and hard and you won't listen to a prophet coming to you and telling you, I love you and you're in sin and God wants you out of this, that way you can experience peace. That way you can walk in righteousness, which actually is pleasing to both God and you. Go figure. God made us so that we would actually live happy lives if we live righteous lives. If we don't listen, then we are declaring that Jesus' atoning work on the cross is not for us. You get that? I know you don't want that. Because what happens... If the atoning work of Christ on the cross is not on your account, as you go to eternal hell. Now this is the amazing part. Verse 15. Samuel lay until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. Now I want to go through a couple aspects here. Think of Samuel. He's 12 years old. He's grown up his entire life around Eli. Yes, Eli was a... He, he did not father his own kids well. Eli's sons were wicked men. The scriptures say it. However, Eli was still a mentor to Samuel. I got to imagine that Samuel probably had still a great love for Eli. Hearing these things probably didn't feel completely well. 
I just remembered a point that I meant to hit on. This is really important. So Samuel, Samuel, the really important thing, guess what he's doing? He's getting done. He's being done with that old priesthood, the Elidian priesthood, and now he's starting up this new priesthood through Samuel. Sorry about that. But now moving back in. <laughs> it was really important. I felt like I needed to say it at least. So, um, Samuel actually had a true love for Eli. He's afraid to give this 12-year-long mentor this vision. The vision of destruction. Now, there are some hard things to say in the Bible, right? Take up your cross, carry it after. Right? And there's, a, there's a bunch. You're going to hate, uh, you're, you're gonna, pretty much your families are going to hate each other. Father against son, mother against daughter, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law. There's some hard sayings, right? And those sayings are there because Jesus says, I want you to exalt me above all. When we neglect these hard things, and yes, I'm not saying it's not, it's a legit feeling to have some fear in you to say these certain things. However, a proper fear. Fear of who? Fear of the Lord. Now, worrying about what Eli is going to think, yes, I can imagine that those thoughts are going through his head. He didn't say he went back to sleep, did it? Because he lay until morning. He may have gone back to sleep. However, I've got to imagine if he's got that, pro- that vision on his mind, he lay back in, until morning, and then he opened the doors to the, of the house, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision. It's dwelling on his mind. Have you ever had one of those meetings where you're about to meet up with somebody, you got something that you got to tell them, and you just can't sleep? Right? What are you going to do in those moments? Right. You're going to pray. You're going to ask God to give you the spirit of boldness. Because you got to say what you got to say. Imagine this scenario. You know, brothers, sisters, in sin. You have the scripture, the spirit of God within you to go to them and tell them, you are in sin. I am going to lovingly come alongside you and tell you so that way I can hopefully pull you out. Yes, there's fear. However, who can overcome that fear? God. And when you don't seek the face of God to overcome that fear, then could you let that fear overtake you? You don't want to do that. Sometimes the hard things do need to be said. And then we see here, but Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. Very endearing term, right? let's keep going and he said here I am and Eli said actually I, I want to hit on that for a moment he said here I am so Samuel in this moment is still actually serving 
Eli very faithfully, even though he knows the destruction is about to come. And he also, he knows what he's going to do. He knows what he's about to do. He's got that fear of telling this vision. However, he very well knows he's going to call me and I'm going to, he's going to ask me what it was. Right? I would also say, even in those moments, enter it with prayer. Verse 17, and Eli said, what was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. And this is the crazy part. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. This is crazy. This is his mentor of 12 years, and now he's threatening him. And this is the other crazy part. Eli knew that it was a prophecy or a vision of judgment. Samuel didn't say a word yet. Eli knew it was a vision of judgment. Do we ever enter into mentoring or discipling somebody like that? You have this person you've been working with for years. And then God is really blessing them like crazy. And yet, you allow your pride to take over and to get a little bit jealous. And once God starts giving them these prophecies and visions and everything, right? You're like, yeah, but I want that. It's like, well, guess what? You should probably check yourself. Sometimes it might be you that you have sin. Or sometimes, get this. God might be setting you up just so that way you can rejoice with them. But here you see Eli, he is threatening him. What would a normal reaction be? MashaAllah, God gave you a prophecy. Let's hear it. This is awesome. Actually rejoicing with them. But this guy, again, numb and hard. I don't know if I can say it any more times. He was that hard to God. He didn't even care about a vision. There was no frequent visions, and he didn't care that the very person whom he was mentoring and discipling had a vision. He wasn't excited for him. God was worried about his own flesh. Because guess what? That flesh was about to be destroyed. It blew me away the moment that I noticed... Eli, the very person who's a father figure over him, right? He was dedicated to the temple. Parents actually came to visit him. So Eli acted, if you will, as a father figure over him. He's, he's the one that's pretty much raising the boy. He's threatening him. May that never, ever, ever come from us. May we always be people that are encouraging, right? Encouraging one another. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. So like I already said, you do have to say those hard things. Although we have a lot of people out there that only want to say, well, Jesus, God's love. Right? He is. 
But loving God also entails other things. And he says those things. Matt went down to Planned Parenthood today. Did you say some hard things, Matt? Yes. He said some hard things. He called sin, sin. He called an ace, an ace, and a spade, a spade. It's what it is. However, did you say some loving things, Matt? Of course. Why? Is because God is a God of truth and love. He's not going to sacrifice his love for the truth. His love is truth. He's not going to sacrifice the truth for his love. They work together. Right? So we, likewise, we speak, Ephesians 4.15, in truth and love. You don't speak in truth and you only speak in love. Guess what? You're going to lead people astray. You have to give Ota Scriptura, the whole counsel of God. That's why we're going verse by verse. We want to make sure everybody is fully equipped and fully knows the Scriptures. All right, let's keep going. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And this is the amazing part. So, we got Eli. He's numb. He just threatened the boy. You know, grown man threatening a 12-year-old. God, do so to you. Weird. And now, he hears the vision. This destruction. This is the second time that he's heard about the destruction and the end of his priesthood. So his family's no longer going to be priests. His family name will be wiped off. Done. And he says, nope, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. I will say this on Eli's behalf. When somebody comes to you with a prophecy about your sin... Guess what he's doing here? He's actually now listening. And this is crazy. I want, to, I want to go through the storyline again. Samuel, here I am, Eli. Go, go back to bed. Samuel, here I am, Eli. Go back to bed. Samuel, here I am. Oh, it must be the Lord. You should probably say this and listen to him for a vision. What if Eli actually took his own advice? Do we, do we ever do that? Do we ever give advice that we ourselves should actually take? Right? Going to somebody who said, you need to spend more time in prayer, and yet you probably spent 10, hour, 10 minutes that week. I would say, be open and honest. Struggle with a brother and say, hey, let's do it right now. Let's pray. Don't, go, don't just give religious answers to people. That's what, I mean, Eli was a high priest. He's the very person who the entire town would say, that guy's going to get a vision, that guy's got to be holy, he's a high priest, and yet, his family's going to be wiped off the face of the earth. Telling you, don't just give religious answers. Be real with people. Maybe that person who's having trouble praying needs you to struggle through that with them, honestly. Have you ever thought of that? 
Maybe they don't need that religious answer. Maybe they need you. So Eli here, he actually responded in a proper way. He listened too late. He listened too late. Well, this destruction is going to come. Let it be. If he would have listened to the very first prophecy... Now, this is what I'm telling you. If somebody comes to you with prophecy, listen. Heed the warning. Run towards holiness. Run to Christ. So when somebody comes to you, if I don't, and I don't know where everybody stands with Jesus in this moment. So if you hear me saying, run to Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, don't say, I'll do that tomorrow. Because when I'm saying run to Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, it also entails you don't have forgiveness of your sins. And guess what? I'm being prophetic in this moment. And if you're not in Christ, you're going to hell. I don't want that for you. I love you. And yet, even with that being said, there are many who will harden their heart. I plead don't. Now, I want to go on. So, and Samuel grew up. Now, this is a really cool part coming towards the end. And Samuel grew up, and the Lord was it with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. So, God established him as a prophet. And I thought it was really amazing. The very first prophecy that God gave Samuel was one that was actually reestablishing one that was already seen as authoritative and, and, and known. Right? So, the very, it was reestablishing the first Samuel 2 prophecy. And so then after that, God established all of his words, not one of them fell. Verse 20, in all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. This is amazing. We start out... Visions were infrequent. They didn't happen often during that time. And now you have Samuel. The Elidian priesthood um, and all that is being done away with. Samuel's being raised up. And you even see here when Eli said, let the, let the Lord do what he's going to do. You see him pretty much passing the torch. So Samuel now is established as a prophet. In the people, and again, I want to bring it back to the commoner too. Imagine what that must have been like. Because he was established before all the people from Dan to Beersheba, right? So now you have this prophet, a national prophet known among you. You actually have some sort of form of communion with God again back in the Old Testament in this, in this moment. What that must have felt like. Now, I've got a question. So we feel like a lot of times with the church around, there's so many who don't want to tell truth. There's so many who are just leading people astray and that the lamp has gone dim. Gone dim. However, I don't know about you. In looking at what is happening currently in Christendom, I feel like God is doing a revival. He is calling out people to be bold for his name. We see it even here. 
How long has this church plant been, been around? Less than a year. And yet, people are pursuing righteousness and holiness. Mind you, we have probably, what, 25, 30 people among us right now. This started with nine people in a living room. Ten. Ten people in a living room. There's a baby in the womb. Mine. My baby in the womb. Um, so, this is crazy. God is doing a great thing among us. He is not forsaken Lewiston. And he has not completely cast away his hope. Right? I want to move on to one last point. Um, verse 1 in, in chapter 4. <clears throat> and the word of Samuel came to all Israel. The very first time that Samuel was established as a prophet, he had to say the hard things, right? It gave him boldness, I'm sure. Matt, this is your first time street preaching today. Were you afraid? Yeah. You went out there. You prayed before, didn't you? God gave you boldness. Could you do it again? Why? Right. So, get this. Samuel is showing an utter reliance on the Lord by going through, receiving this vision and prophecy. Because guess, guess what? Everybody, and I'm going to tell you, seek the gifts, earnestly seek them, desire them. However, to whom much is given, much is required. Having the gifts isn't just fun and games, right? Having the gifts, prophecy, visions, dreams... God is going to require much of you. You speak those. You speak those in truth. You speak those in love. And you don't forsake those. But you also don't run after every prophecy that's given. You have discernment. You have wisdom. You use the different parts of your body going through these. So Samuel was brought out. He was bold. He told the prophecy to whom it was going to. And it was a prophecy of destruction. Matt went to Planned Parenthood and declared, if you don't stop, you're going you're gonna to perish. What you're doing is murdering image bearers of God. Seek Christ for the forgiveness of that. He is mighty and powerful to forgive. And just like Samuel was strengthened and empowered, and now that the word of, Lord, of the Lord is going out from Samuel to all Israel, Matt's going to go do it again. And you, you step out in boldness, you're going to go do it again and again and again. And you're going to go and proclaim and tell people of this God who saved you. So I'm going to end with this. The question is, are you going to leave here like Samuel? Who is
was empowered and emboldened by the Word of God, by the Spirit of God within him, and by dreams and visions and prophecies? Or are you going to leave here hardening your heart and deepening yourself further into the muck and mire of your sin, numbing yourself against the Spirit of God and the Word of God? Eli didn't even understand that God was speaking to the very person he was mentoring. Are you going to make it so you can't even hear God speak through his word to you? I plead with you, don't do that. Because he wants you to actually enjoy him. And you enjoy him in living a life that is pursuing Christ in his righteousness. You don't enjoy Jesus through looking at all of your podcasts. You don't enjoy Jesus by listening to everybody else's take on the Bible. You enjoy Jesus by getting with Jesus. You seek your God first. You don't seek John Piper first. Amen? You seek God first. You don't seek MacArthur. Now these are glorious guys. Like they're great. I love reading from them. They are great guys, but they're not God. I want to be real. Seek God and submit to God. All right, we're gonna wrap up there. I love you. God, we thank you. Thank you so much, God, for your Bible, your Scriptures, your Spirit. God, would you just move amongst us? Amongst our body, would you give dreams, visions, prophecies, God? Would you give us tongues? Would you fill us with your spirit, God? Would you anoint us? God, would we move away from this, seeking your face more and deeper, God, that we wouldn't be running towards our sin? God, that you would call us out of our sin to righteousness. And God, that we would pursue you. And God, that we would have peace in you. God, we love you. We thank you. And right now, God, we just we want to exalt your name before the angels of heaven. God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Cell 53, proclaiming the kingdom of God for the sake of the city. For more resources, visit cell53.com.